Welcome to Inside the Draft, a weekly preview of the upcoming NFL Draft with insiders from around the country. Welcome to Inside the Draft. I'm Matt Taylor, and this is our weekly look at the upcoming NFL Draft, which unfolds in late April. And we're going to gather the thoughts of several insiders around the country between now and then on the draft and the Colts. And joining us today on our first episode is a guy we've had on the last couple of years, and it's good to have him back on the phone line today. Jordan Reed is our guest, and now he's an NFL draft analyst at ESPN. Jordan, thanks for the time today. How are you, sir? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back once again. No doubt about it. Again, I talked to you off the air, but uh, as we sit here and talk on the air, if you will, congrats on your move to ESPN. Where can people find you and your work on the mothership here? Yeah, so you can find my work, of course, at ESPN.com slash NFL Draft, or there's a tab at the top. Click on the NFL tab and mm-hmm. just find the draft section. Also, you can find me on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. That's R-E-I-D. Absolutely. Good stuff. you got to follow him, folks, if you want to get the skinny on the draft. That's what we're partly going to do here on our first installment of uh, Inside the Draft. So before we get into heavy draft stuff, let's talk about the Combine. That's next week, and the Combine Jordan lifted the idea of a bubble for the prospects on site. What what was the biggest reason the players and the agents did not want the bubble? They did not want to be restricted. What was the big hiccup, and, and why did they push so hard to get rid of that? Well, the big reason is just access, just because at the Combine, everybody has their own personal trainers, people that they've been working with, whether it's physical therapy type of people or you know, people that they have been working on or with during their lead up to the draft. So they want to make sure they feel as comfortable as possible just because this is the biggest interview of their lives. And they want to make sure that they have everybody in their corner that they have been working with over the past few months, ever since the season ended. Everybody has their personal trainers. For example, with quarterbacks, they have people that they have been throwing with. And with the bubble, those type of people wouldn't have been accessible to the bubble. So little things like they wouldn't have anywhere to warm up. Most of those guys use the lobby or the hotel area with their trainers to have a dynamic warm up or some type of warm up that they have been doing over these past two or three months. So little (laughs) things like that is why these players weren't in favor. And also specifically the agents, just because of the access that some of these people that they have had over the past few months none of those people would have been able or been accessible to those prospects. You know, I think that's something that most people don't realize, that mental image of players warming up up and down hotel hallways or in hotel lobbies. I mean, that's that's something that we wouldn't think, you know, as it relates to the NFL. It's this billion-dollar industry. There's got to be somewhere else for these guys to go, but you're exactly right. They don't. They have to make use of all of the resources available to them outside of Lucas Oil Stadium during the Combine. Yeah, and that was one of the biggest reasons why the agents were so adamant about getting the bubble removed, just because, right. of course, they're going to go to bat with for their clients just because that's who they're working for, but also they want to make sure that they can perform and have the most resources as possible. All right, Jordan, outside of the medicals, because we all know how important that is, um, does the combine outside of that still hold as much weight as maybe it used to? Has its importance waned to where it's now just part of the puzzle instead of it being a major piece of the puzzle, if you will, leading into the draft? No, I think outside of all-star games, I think this is the most important piece of the puzzle just because for some scouts, GMs, and personnel or evaluators, this is their first time actually meeting some of these guys just because the area scouts, regional scouts, those mm-hmm. are the people that are on the road. They're hitting hundreds of schools throughout the year. But these GMs, they're not doing that just because they have obligations during the season. Of course, they have to worry about the current roster and everything that's going on with that. So – I like to compare it to speed dating when they're meeting with these teams. It's no more than 15 meeting or excuse me, 15 minutes. And they have 60 meetings. I believe it is still with 
that's the, a lot of number of prospects that they can meet with. So you have to figure out as much information in those 15 minutes as possible, whether if it's a prospect that has some red flags or if they have some injuries, you get intel about that. You have some film clips that you want to go through, whether it's positives or negative, just mm -hmm. because you can get a feel for the player. Just so little things like that is why I like to call it speed dating. And you're trying to learn these players as quickly as possible. So you want to make a good impression from a prospect standpoint on these evaluators. And on the flip side of that, these evaluators get a feel for the personality of these players on and off of the field. Indeed. Jordan Reed, our guest ESPN NFL draft analyst. All right. Going into the combine, Jordan, what, what do we need to know about this draft? This is, our again, our first time to really kind of go draft-centric. What are the biggest things we should know about this upcoming draft if we didn't know anything about it going into it? It's very defensive heavy. I would say that edge rusher, I think, is by far the most deepest position uh, as far as from top to bottom, day one through, through day three. We hear the names Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau at the top, but there's plenty of other players that surround the depth in this class. So edge rusher, I think is very deep. Cornerback is another position that I think is very deep too. And then there's plenty of others. I think linebacker is very deep too. So um, this isn't drafts like years past where we have a quarterback at the top. Like we've seen the past three years with Kyler Murray right. in 2019, Joe Burrow two years ago, and of course, Trevor Lawrence last year. And I think that's what makes this draft so fascinating just because we're, we've kind of gotten used to having that guy or that quarterback one at the top. So now it's a little bit in flux, not having that guy at the top. It makes this group really interesting. Absolutely. So why are the quarterbacks not up to snuff, comparatively speaking, to years past? Why is this crop of quarterbacks not on par with what we saw last year and the year before? Well, we just didn't have that guy that jumped out as QB1. And I know Kenny Pickett had a big jump this year, but he didn't have a Joe Burrow-like ascension. He wasn't tabbed as being a high-flight type of player like a Trevor Lawrence or a Kyler Murray who had that big one year two at Oklahoma. We just didn't have that guy this year that really separated himself. And it didn't happen at the, at the senior bowl. A lot of people were thinking with five of the top six guys participating in it, that we were going to have that one guy that just grabbed everybody's attention. Mm -hmm. And Malik Willis had one day of where he did that. It was the Wednesday practice where it was pretty rainy outside, but outside of that, nobody really separated themselves. So I think not having a, a quarterback at the top, it really makes the drive fun for me. I would say that just because it's going to be so unpredictable, <laughs> right. but for the common fan, it is a little bit different. Yeah, got to do your homework. Uh, I think we all are in that boat uh, heading into this draft class. All right, the Colts have a lot of question marks at premium positions. Uh, Jordan, as you know, they don't have that first-round pick. They might be looking for a quarterback. Who knows there? They need long-term answers at left tackle. They could use more pass rush help, um, and they could also use more firepower at wide receiver. But let's talk about left tackle first and the depth there. Are there any tackles worthy of a second round grade in this draft again with the Colts not having that first round pick as of now yeah and that's another position I think on offense outside of wide receiver I think it's the deepest of this year's position and I really like this offensive line class now it's not as top heavy as we've seen in years past mm -hmm. a couple of years ago where it was Tristan Wirfs and Makai Beckton and Andrew Thomas and all those guys it's not that class but there is some really good guys at the top but just talking about some second round players that I think could go or are worthy of that second round pick. You're talking about people like Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan. He's a name we could hear a lot. Daniel Filele from Minnesota is another. And then even Max Mitchell 
from Louisiana. Lafayette is another name that could throw himself in the mix of being in that second round type of equation. So it is a deep class throughout, throughout all three days, in my opinion. So the Colts at 47, I believe it is with that second round pick, mm-hmm. they're going to have their pick of the litter as far as who they want starting off or in the middle of day two. Are those guys that you just mentioned, are they projects at all? Or are they plug and play? They are surefire left tackles because that's what the Colts want. If they're going to use that much draft capital, if you will, uh, picking a, a tackle that high in the draft in the second round. Yeah, whenever you're talking about the second round, it is kind of hard to find those guys as far as plug and play. You're always going to have your project type of players that maybe need to add a little bit of weight or they need to polish up their technique a little bit more. And we've seen guys like that be huge, uh, you know, be huge positives in years past, whether it was Samuel Cosme last year out of Texas, mm-hmm. who the Washington Commanders took in the second round, Brian O'Neill a couple of years ago with the Vikings. We just saw him sign a lucrative extension. So you're talking about those players that need a little bit more polish but there's a lot of upside. So I think some of those players, as I just mentioned, I think they're along those similar lines, yeah. and the Colts could hope to get something out of them. Jordan Reed is our guest, ESPN NFL draft analyst. All right, what about tight ends? Because the Colts could be losing Jack Doyle at the end of the season. He kind of flirted with retirement. No news as far as that goes just yet. Mo Ali cox is a free agent. Jordan, what does this year's crop of tight ends look like in the draft? Now, like quarterback, there isn't that one guy at the top like we've seen in years past, where there was a TJ Hawkinson or even last year with Kyle Pitts. There isn't that type of guy in this draft, but I think the meat and potatoes of this class is probably second and third round or even fourth round. I think is where we're going to see a lot of those guys go, whether it's a Trey McBride from Colorado State or Jalen Weidermeyer from Texas A&M. But one name I do want to mention that I actually wrote down as my pro comparison to Mo Ali Cox, and I saw him play at the East-West Shrine game out in Las Vegas, and his name is Jelani Woods from Virginia. He's every bit of six foot seven, about 260 pounds, has a basketball background like Mo Ali Cox did, mm-hmm. and he played one year at Virginia, and he came second in every single tight end record behind, um, oh, his name is slipping my mind, but um, with Jelani Woods, he reminds me a lot of uh, Mo Ali Cox, and then he actually spent his first three years of his career at Oklahoma State, where he primarily was a blocker for the most part. But um, Jelani Woods from Virginia, keep an eye on him. Heath Miller was the name that I was thinking of. There you <laughs> go. That was slipping my mind there when he was go. at Virginia. So <laughs> he came second in every single category, whether it was receiving touchdowns, catches, all of those categories, he finished second at Virginia. So Jelani Woods, keep an eye on him. Is the blocking tight end coming out of college, is that becoming more and more of a, a lost art form when you when you talk about tight ends and skill set? There's a lot of athletic as you just talked about, you know, former basketball players uh, as pass-catching tight ends. But the Colts with Jack Doyle, Mo Alley-Cox, they are, you know, extensions of the run game or extensions of the offensive line. Is that a lost art form for tight ends coming out of college into the draft? Yeah, it is, Matt, just because I think with how high-octane offenses are going now and then you're starting to see the hybrid tight ends become so popular, whether it's a George Kittle or some of these other Travis Kelsey, some of these big time tight ends that we're seeing have such a positive impact in the passing game. Everybody wants to be pass catchers now when it's really hard to find those versatile type players just because there's not a huge emphasis on blocking anymore, just because guys are getting paid to catch the football. So Mm -hmm. I think I think you're exactly right. Is it being some of somewhat of a lost art uh, as far as blocking? All right. After the senior bowl a couple of weeks ago, Jordan, who are some guys that that really helped themselves after that game heading into the combine that you want to see more? You want to see them back it up in the drills on the field after what they turned in, you know, that in that apples to apples comparison during the senior bowl. Yeah, so I'll just stick to some players uh, as far as where the Colts have needs. 
Um, one player that I really want to see more of, as I mentioned, is Max Mitchell from Louisiana Lafayette. Mm-hmm. I think he's one player that probably could go in that third round range. I think that's probably the sweet spot for him right now as far as where he could go. But if you're looking for a later on down the line uh, type of option at the position, keep an eye on Matt Wolitsko, who's a small school offensive tackle from North Dakota. There's a lot of buzz about him as far as being a developmental project, maybe in like that fourth or fifth round range that a lot of people are really interested in. But tight ends wise, Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina is one name that I do like a lot. If you're looking for more of your receiving type of tight end, he set a bunch of records down there. Reminds you a lot of Gerald Everett when he was coming out of South Alabama, if you're looking for a player comparison for him. So uh, more of a later on down the line tight end name that I think the Colts could have interested in mm-hmm. is Charlie Kolar from Iowa State, who kind of reminds me a little bit of Kyle Rudolph when he was coming out of Notre Dame, kind of that long levered receiving type tight end that can bring some added dimensions in the run blocking game as well. Jordan Reed, ESPN NFL draft analyst. Final couple of things, Jordan, any under the radar position groups that that's full of talent in this draft class that we didn't talk about or that you think might be pushed up the board when it's all said and done uh, in late April? Well, I wouldn't say underrated, but I think the Colts could use another cornerback. Uh, I think that's another position that they could look to address later on down the line. So one name I do want to mention that I think they could have interest in, and his name is Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State, mm-hmm. who's a small school player that I think could go maybe in the fourth or fifth round. I think that's probably the area that he could end up going, and he played really well down at the Senior Bowl, was one of only two Division two players actually playing in the event down there. So Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State and the Colts have also showed that they have no hesitancy with taking small school players. We saw what has made what they have made of of Darius Leonard, how right. um, that's turned out for them. So keep an eye on Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State, who's a cornerback. Hey Jordan, I want to go back a little bit, and I realize I'm I'm probably putting you on the spot with this question, but can you go back and look at the Colts draft class from last season, 2021? Quiddy Pay in round one, Dio Adengbo in round two. Uh, Kylan Granson on day three. What did you make of the production the Colts got from their rookie class last season? Yeah, I, I was a fan of a lot of the picks that they made. Um, Bayo, I, I liked him a lot coming out. I was unfortunate that he had the Achilles tear. I really liked mm-hmm. uh, Quiddy Pay coming out too. It was just a matter of even though his sack numbers and his sack totals were low, I always knew he was going to be able to generate consistent pressure. And we saw the flashes of what he was able to do during his uh, rookie season. I think they were going to be able to get some really good things out of him in the future too. So those two, I think are really going to be staples of that defensive line front in the future. It's just a matter of they are now just getting healthy uh, for the consistent long run. And with him, you really have to pause the screen. I know his tape at Vanderbilt, you really had to pause the screen to find out where he was going to be up and down the line of scrimmage. But one underrated player, um, and I'm not sure exactly the production that they got out of him, but I like when they made the pick was Michael Strachan. I really liked him a lot. I thought he was a really good small school player yeah. coming out. And Kylan, Kylan Granson is another player that I, that I really like the selection of him coming out, too. I think they're going to be able to get some good production out of him in later years, too. Do you think from what we saw in the playoffs, I mean, you had Jamar Chase. I mean, you had so many great wide receiver production games. And obviously the quarterbacks feasted because of those guys, those playmakers they had on on those offenses. I mean, you're talking about Burrow and and Allen, Stafford. Do you think because of that, we'll we'll continue to see the trend of wide receivers going fast and furious those couple of first rounds like we've seen in the past? Yeah, I think so. I think wide receiver is one position that's constantly going to be a strength of every draft class moving forward just because we're in the era now. And I was actually – talking about this with some of my friends my scouting buddies a couple of days ago and that the seven on seven era of high school and in college mm-hmm. football is that 
everybody wants to play wide receiver. Everybody wants to catch or touch the football in some form. So I think that's why these wide receiver classes are being generated and being pumped out so greatly over the past few years, just because it's the 707 era. Everybody's going to want to catch and touch the football. So I think like what we've seen over the past two or three draft classes with these wide receivers being a plus, I think that's going to continue over the next decade or so. All right, that's Jordan Reed, ESPN NFL draft analyst with us. What are you writing about uh, on ESPN.com, and where can we see you on our TV screens coming up here in the near future? A bunch of combine stuff coming out. Yep. have positional previews that are coming out, some players that I'm going to be keeping an eye on personally, and then who could improve their stock the most from the combine too. So keep an eye out for that on ESPN.com. Remember to click on the NFL tab. There mm-hmm. should be a tab that says NFL Draft. Underneath it, that's where you can find my colleagues, Todd McShay, Mel Kiper Jr., and then also Matt Miller, too. Absolutely. All right, make sure you say the right things here, Jordan. Again, I'm going to put you on the spot. The fact that the Combine might be leaving Indianapolis uh, next season, what are your feelings on that? How much affinity do you have for the event and the fact that it's in Indianapolis, a place that you're obviously pretty familiar with? So I've only been to one combine ah! in my career, believe it or not. And <laughs> so, yeah, I had my first experience with St. Elmo's two years ago. Okay. So, <laughs> well, at least you've been there once and you've you've seen it and you've done it, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I just love how tight-knit Indianapolis is. Everything is right there uh, where it's accessible. Downtown's right there. The, the stadium's right in the middle of downtown. Everything's so accessible right there. And wherever you need to go, you don't need to go far. In Indy. So I think that's one of the biggest positives of keeping it in Indianapolis. And it's historic. You know, Indianapolis has had the combine forever for forever. So I'm really hoping that it does stay there just because of how tight knit it is. It seemed like it's great for the city, too. So yeah. I'm really hoping that it stays there. Well, we'll see. I mean, there's money to be made, as you know, uh, every year since yeah. 1987. We'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But appreciate you saying that and appreciate your time and your information on the draft, man. This is awesome having you. Again, congratulations on all your success. Love your work. Have a great rest of this week, and we'll see you next week at the Combine. We'll catch up then, Jordan. Thanks, as always, for the time. Absolutely. Thanks, as always, Matt. Looking forward to it.